section fifteen of the crime of sylvestre bonard by anatole france this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two during breakfast i had many opportunities to appreciate the good taste tact and intelligence of madame de gabry who told me that the chateau had its ghosts and was especially haunted by the lady with three wrinkles in her back a prisoner during her lifetime and thereafter a soul in pain i could never describe how much wit and animation she gave to this old nurse's tale we took out coffee on the terrace whose balusters clasped and forcibly torn away from their stone coping by a vigorous growth of ivy remained suspended in the grasp of the amorous plant like bewildered athenian women in the arms of ravishing centaurs the chateau shaped something like a four-wheeled wagon with a turret at each of the four angles had lost all original character by reason of repeated remodellings it was merely a fine spacious building nothing more it did not appear to me to have suffered much damage during its abandonment of thirty-two years but when madame de gabry conducted me into the great salon of the ground floor i saw that the planking was bulged in and out the plinths rotten the wainscoting split apart the paintings of the peers turned black and hanging more than half out of their settings a chestnut tree after forcing up the planks of the floor had grown tall under the ceiling and was reaching out its large-leaved branches towards the glassless windows this spectacle was not devoid of charm but i could not look at it without anxiety as i remembered that the rich library of m honore de gabry in an adjoining apartment must have been exposed for the same length of time to the same forces of decay yet as i looked at the young chestnut tree in the salon i could not but admire the magnificent vigour of nature and that resistless power which forces every germ to develop into life on the other hand i felt saddened to think that whatever effort we scholars may make to preserve dead things from passing away we are labouring painfully in vain whatever has lived becomes the necessary food of new existences and the arab who builds himself a hut out of the marble fragments of a palmyra temple is really more of a philosopher than all the guardians of museums at london munich or paris august eleven all day long i have been classifying manuscripts the sun came in through the loft uncurtained windows and during my reading often very interesting i could hear the languid bumblebees bump heavily against the windows and the flies intoxicated with light and heat making their wings hum in circles around my head so loud became their humming about three o'clock that i looked up from the document i was reading a document containing very precious materials for the history of milan in the thirteenth century to watch the concentric movements of those tiny creatures bestion la fontaine calls them he found this form of the word in the old popular speech 
whence also the term tapisserie a bestion applied to figured tapestry i was compelled to confess that the effect of heat upon the wings of a fly is totally different from that it exerts upon the brain of a paleographical archivist for i found it very difficult to think and a rather pleasant languor weighing upon me from which i could rouse myself only by a very determined effort the dinner-bell then startled me in the midst of my labours and i had barely time to put on my new dress-coat so as to make a respectable appearance before madame de gabry the repast generously served seemed to prolong itself for my benefit i am more than a fair judge of wine and my hostess who discovered my knowledge in this regard was friendly enough to open a certain bottle of chateau margot in my honour with deep respect i drank of this famous and knightly old wine which comes from the slopes of bordeaux and of which the flavour and exhilarating power are beyond praise the ardour of it spread gently through my veins and filled me with an almost juvenile animation seated beside madame de gabry on the terrace in the gloaming which gave a charming melancholy to the park and lent to every object an air of mystery i took pleasure in communicating my impression of the scene to my hostess i discoursed with a vivacity quite remarkable on the part of a man so devoid of imagination as i am i described to her spontaneously without quoting from an old text the caressing melancholy of the evening and the beauty of that natal earth which feeds us not only with bread and wine but also with ideas sentiments and beliefs and which will at last take us all back to her maternal breast again like so many tired little children at the close of a long day monsieur said the kind lady you see these old towers those trees that sky is it not quite natural that the personage of the popular tales and folk-songs should have been evoked by such scenes why over there is the very path which little red riding hood followed when she went to the woods to pick nuts across this changeful and always vapoury sky the fairy chariots used to roll and the north tower might have sheltered under its pointed roof that same old spinning woman whose distaff pricked the sleeping beauty in the wood i continued to muse upon her pretty fancies while m pole related to me as he puffed a very strong cigar the history of some suit he had brought against the commune about a water right madame de gabry feeling the chill night air began to shiver under the shawl her husband had wrapped about her and left us to go to her room i then decided instead of going to my own to return to the library and continue my examination of the manuscripts in spite of the protests of m pole i entered what i may call in old-fashioned phrase the book-room and started to work by the light of a lamp after having read fifteen pages evidently written by some ignorant and careless scribe for i could scarcely discern their meaning i plunged my hand into the pocket of my coat to get my snuff-box but this movement usually so natural and almost instinctive this time cost me some effort and even fatigue nevertheless i got out the silver-box and took from it a pinch of the odorous powder which somehow or other 
i managed to spill all over my shirt-bosom under my baffled nose i am sure my nose must have expressed its disappointment for it is a very expressive nose more than once it has betrayed my secret thoughts and especially upon a certain occasion at the public library of coutances where i discovered right in front of my colleague brieu the cartulary of notre dame des anges what a delight my little eyes remained as dull and expressionless as ever behind my spectacles but at the mere sight of my thick pug-nose which quivered with joy and pride brieu knew that i had found something he noted the volume i was looking at observed the place where i put it back pounced upon it as soon as i turned my heel copied it secretly and published in haste for the sake of playing me a trick but his edition swarms with errors and i had the satisfaction of afterwards criticising some of the gross blunders he made but to come back to the point at which i left off i began to suspect that i was getting very sleepy indeed i was looking at a chart of which the interest may be divined from the fact that it contained mention of a hutch sold to Johann de stonville priest in thirteen twelve but although even then i could recognize the importance of the document i did not give it that attention it so strongly invited my eyes would keep turning against my will towards a certain corner of the table where there was nothing whatever interesting to a learned mind there was only a big german book there bound in pigskin with brass studs on the sides and very thick cording upon the back it was a fine copy of a compilation which has little to recommend it except the wood engravings it contains and which is known as the cosmography of munster this volume with its cover slightly open was placed upon edge with the back upwards i could not say for how long i had been staring causelessly at the sixteenth-century folio when my eyes were captivated by a sight so extraordinary that even a person as devoid of imagination as i could not have been greatly astonished by it i perceived all of a sudden without having noticed her coming into the room a little creature seated on the back of the book with one knee bent and one leg hanging down somewhat in the attitude of the amazons of hyde park or the bois de boulogne on horseback she was so small that her swinging foot did not reach the table over which the trail of her dress extended in a serpentine line but her face and figure were those of an adult the fullness of her corsage and the roundness of her waist could leave no doubt of that even for an old savant like myself i will venture to add that she was very handsome with a proud mien for my iconographic studies have long accustomed me to recognize at once the perfection of a type and the character of a physiognomy the countenance of this lady who had seated herself inopportunely on the back of cosmography of Montmunster, expressed a mingling of haughtiness and mischievousness she had the air of a queen but a capricious queen and i judged from the mere expression of her eyes that she was accustomed to wield great authority somewhere in a very whimsical manner her mouth was imperious and mocking and those blue eyes of hers seemed to laugh in a disquieting way under her finely arched black eyebrows i have always heard that black eyebrows are very becoming to blondes but this lady was very blonde 
on the whole the impression she gave me was one of greatness it may seem odd to say that a person who was no taller than a wine-bottle and who might have been hidden in my coat-pocket but that it would have been very disrespectful to put her in it gave me precisely an idea of greatness but in the fine proportions of the lady seated upon the cosmography of munster there was such a proud elegance such a harmonious majesty and she maintained an attitude at once so easy and so noble that she really seemed to me a very great person although my ink-bottle which she examined with an expression of such mockery as appeared to indicate that she knew in advance every word that would come out of it at the end of my pen was for her a deep basin in which she would have blackened her gold-clocked pink stockings up to the garter i can assure you that she was great and imposing even in her sprightliness her costume worthy of her face was extremely magnificent it consisted of a robe of gold and silver brocade and a mantle of nacarat velvet lined with vair her head-dress was a sort of hennen with two high points and pearls of splendid lustre made it bright and luminous as a crescent moon her little white hand held a wand that wand drew my attention very strongly because my archaeological studies had taught me to recognize with certainty every sign by which the notable personages of legend and of history are distinguished this knowledge came to my aid during various very queer conjectures with which i was laboring i examined the wand and saw that it appeared to have been cut from a branch of hazel then it's a fairy's wand i said to myself consequently the lady who carries it is a fairy happy at thus discovering what sort of a person was before me i tried to collect my mind sufficiently to make her a graceful compliment it would have given me much satisfaction i confess if i could have talked to her about the part taken by her people not less in the life of the saxon and germanic races than in that of the latin occident such a dissertation it appeared to me would have been an ingenious method of thanking the lady for having thus appeared to an old scholar contrary to the invariable custom of her kindred who never show themselves but to innocent children or ignorant village folk because one happens to be a fairy one is none the less a woman i said to myself and since madame recamier according to what i heard j j ampere say used to blush with pleasure when the little chimney-sweeps opened their eyes as wide as they could to look at her surely the supernatural lady seated upon the cosmography of munster might feel flattered to hear an erudite man discourse learnedly about her as about a medal a seal a fibula or a token but such an undertaking which would have cost my timidity a great deal became totally out of the question when i observed the lady of the cosmography suddenly take from an alms-purse hanging at her girdle the very smallest of nuts i had ever seen crack the shells between her teeth and throw them at my nose while she nibbled the kernels with the gravity of a sucking child at this conjuncture i did what the dignity of science demanded of me i remained silent but the nutshells caused such a painful tickling but i put my hand to my nose and found to my great surprise that my spectacles were straddling the very end of it so that i was actually looking at the lady not through my spectacles but over them this was incomprehensible because my eyes worn out over old texts cannot ordinarily distinguish anything without glasses 
could not tell a melon from a decanter though the two were placed close up to my nose that nose of mine remarkable for its size its shape and its coloration legitimately attracted the attention of the fairy for she seized my goose quill pen which was sticking up from the ink-bottle like a plume and she began to pass the feather end of that pen over my nose i had had more than once in company occasion to suffer cheerfully from the innocent mischief of young ladies who made me join their games and would offer me their cheeks to kiss through the back of a chair or invite me to blow out a candle which they would lift suddenly above the range of my breath but until that moment no person of the fair sex had ever subjected me to such a whimsical piece of familiarity as that of tickling my nose with my own feather-pen happily i remembered the maxim of my late grandfather who was accustomed to say that everything was permissible on the part of ladies and that whatever they do to us is to be regarded as a grace and a favour therefore as a grace and a favour i received the nutshells and the titillations with my own pen and i tried to smile much more i even found speech madam i said with dignified politeness you accord the honour of a visit not to a silly child not to a bore but to a bibliophile who is very happy to make your acquaintance and who knows that long ago you used to make elf-knots in the manes of mares at the crib drink the milk from the skimming pails slip grains of gratter down the backs of our great-grandmothers make the hearths sputter in the faces of the old folks and in short fill the house with disorder and gaiety you can also boast of giving the nicest frights in the world to lovers who stayed out in the woods too late of evenings but i thought you had vanished out of existence at least three centuries ago can it really be madame that you are still to be seen in this age of railways and telegraphs my concierge who used to be a nurse in her young days does not know your story and my little boy neighbour whose nose is still wiped for him by his bun declares that you do not exist what do you yourself think about it she cried in a silvery voice straightening up her royal little figure in a very haughty fashion and whipping the back of the cosmography of munster as though it were a hippogriff i don't really know i answered rubbing my eyes this reply indicating a deeply scientific scepticism had the most deplorable effect upon my questioner monsieur sylvestre bonnard she said to me you are nothing but an old pedant i always suspected as much the smallest little ragamuffin who goes along the road with his shirt-tail sticking out through a hole in his pantaloons knows more about me than all the old spectacled folks in your institutes and your academies to know is nothing at all to imagine is everything nothing exists except that which is imagined i am imaginary that is what it is to exist i should think i am dreamed of and i appear everything is only a dream and as nobody ever dreams about you sylvester bonnard it is you who do not exist i charm the world i am everywhere on a moonbeam in the trembling of a hidden spring in the moving of leaves that murmur in the white vapours that rise each morning from the hollow meadow in the thickets of pink briar everywhere i am seen i am loved there are sighs uttered weird thrills of pleasure felt by those who follow the light print of my feet as i make the dead leaves whisper i make the little children smile i give wit to the dullest-minded nurses leaning above the cradles i play i comfort i lull to sleep and you doubt whether i exist sylvester bonnard your warm coat covers the hide of an ass 
she ceased speaking her delicate nostrils swelled with indignation and while i admired despite my vexation the heroic anger of this little person she pushed my pen about in the ink-bottle backward and forward like an oar and then suddenly threw it at my nose point first i rubbed my face and felt it all covered with ink she had disappeared my lamp was extinguished a ray of moonlight streamed down through a window and descended upon the cosmography of moonster a strong cool wind which had arisen very suddenly without my knowledge was blowing my papers pens and wafers about my table was all stained with ink i had left my window open during the storm what an imprudence End of section fifteen